Welcome to Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. My name is Munira Pranji, and I am the host of this podcast. The vision of this podcast is to connect you with ordinary, everyday people from around the world. People who are making a difference. People who are contributing to their communities and the world in small and big ways through their ideas, their imagination, their challenges, their purpose, and their passion. My guest today is Aziz Gurji, an author and teacher. Aziz has recently published a book called Calm, Bring, Powerful Mind that is available on Amazon. His background is in engineering, science, and business management, and he worked in the corporate world and nonprofit organizations. And then he got interested in learning about the mind and how our thoughts affect our reality. And he studied philosophy, psychology, meditation practices, quantum physics, brain enhancement, neuroscience. And the book that he has written is the culmination of all the work he has done to bridge science and spirituality. Today, Aziz will share a framework, a four-step process from his book on how we can transform our lives. So welcome to the show, Aziz. Thank you very much. Thank you, Munira. I'm uh, reading your book, Calm Brain, Powerful Mind. It is chock full of information and every page has interesting nuggets. Your book covers the gamut from stress to the mind, to the brain, to transformation and meditation. I know that this book has been a labor of love for you and has taken many years to write. So how does it feel to finally put all your thoughts down in this book and have it out in the market? You know, Munira, it's, uh, as I talk about in, in, the, in the book about uh, mountain climbing, it's an anticlimax. The book is an anticlimax because it was the journey that I, I went through, which was amazing. And uh, the book was an end, at least one of the end results, because the journey hasn't stopped yet. It's still on the different phase. So it's, it's an anticlimax, but yet uh, it's, it's satisfying that it's out there and that I can share uh, a lot of things that I worked on uh, uh, with other people. That's amazing. So the tagline of your book is abolish stress to unleash your true potential. So let's start there. What would you say is the effect of stress on our lives? And I know you've done a lot of research on this topic. So I think uh, to go back to that, uh, to the subtitle, uh, to abolish stress. And, uh, and the reason why I'm saying to abolish and not uh, manage, as we talked earlier, is because everyone knows that stress is a problem. They're, even the medical the professionals uh, and, and others, they also all tell us that uh, stress kills. But yet they have no idea of what to do except tell you to try and decrease stress. Uh, when you try and decrease stress, what do you mean by decrease? How much do you decrease? Mm -hmm. So on one hand, it, they, they say stress kills, but they say that you decrease stress, so it means to kill yourself slowly rather than you know, instantly. And the reason why that is so is because most of us are very rational minded. And with a rational mind, uh, there is no solution for stress. We can come up with amazing uh, drugs for counter the effect of stress. But 
they somehow we cannot seem to be able to eliminate stress. Okay. And many people will tell you that, no, you can't eliminate, you need some stress. And the reason why they say you need some stress is because it motivates me. They say, you know, I mean, how, if I give up stress and I'm too relaxed and too peaceful, how will I do my work? Hmm. So on one hand, they know it's bad, it kills them. And on the other hand, they say, you know, I don't mind having a little bit of stress. I don't mind dying slowly. I mean, but I still want to, you know, I'm still going to, it's still going to affect me. So the only way that you can do this is, uh, as we'll talk about how to, uh, is to, to understand about the mind, how the mind works, and we can go, we'll go into that. So what does stress do to you? Uh, apart from what, ev- what everyone knows that it affects us uh, emotionally, you know, our, uh, it disturbs our sleep. It's, uh, you know, we are always tense, always stressed out. It affects us uh, physically and a lot of uh, issues uh, with our like high blood pressure, heart problems, all originate from there. They, uh, stress also makes us feel tired and uh, uh, you know, uh, our body muscles are tensed. But what a lot of people don't talk about is the effect of stress on your brain. Mm-hmm. Stress affects not only the 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 physical the part of the brain, but actual functioning of the brain. Mm-hmm. So let's see what uh, what stress does to you. When when we are stressed, we become like, for example, let, let me start with an example. Is saying that uh, we have this uh, survival instinct. Yes. So that you know, if we if uh, if we meet up with a wild animal on the on on somewhere. We have this instinct to run. Now, when that happens, what it does is the, automatically the mind uh, shifts into the survival mechanism. Mm. So when that, when that happens, all of a sudden, all the blood pumped into your extremes, your, your hands, your uh, legs. Uh, so it, but it takes away the blood flow from your, all the vital organs which are in the middle of your, in, in your, in your body mm. because it needs blood and it, it doesn't care because the the option is either to outrun the animal or to be killed. So at that particular moment, there is no option for the body but to run. And for that, you need all the all the all the resources it has. And that is one part. The second part is in that kind of situation, the mind has no time to think. It's it's on instinct. It has to run right. because thinking takes time. So the brain and the, the what it do is they, it, they, they pump into our, our system a lot of uh, adrenaline, the, the stress hormones. Yes. Okay? And, and it, those are like, uh, like liquid energy. Mm. So they just pump up the body really hard. Once the, the threat is done, is finished, then the body goes back to normal. Okay? That's, that's the whole part of it. It comes back to normal and we go on doing what we're doing. And the, the stress hormones slowly dissipate into, from the body. What happens when we are stressed? Mental, when, I, when I talk about stress, it's the mental stress, not the physical stress of someone chasing us. The mental stress is created by, by our thoughts, by our mind. And what do, I, what do I mean by that? It's thinking of something in the past you bring into today and worrying about it. Okay? Uh, you might, and, and thinking about the future, what's going to happen to me. Again, those kind of, all those things start to, your mind chatter. It starts to stress you out. When that happens, the body automatically puts you onto survival because the body knows that these kind of thoughts are affecting the, the whole system. 
So as soon as it does that, it puts you into survival. So it becomes the same kind of a survival uh, mechanism as you're trying to outrun an animal. Mm, okay. The problem is that when the animal when that animal is stopped chasing you, uh, you go back to your norm. But with worries, you're always on a high. And the more you worry, the more stressed you become, the more into survival you, you go in. And so your stress hormones don't have a chance to di- dissipate. And so they collect in your body, all of them. And that's what does the damage. So in the more stresses you have, the more it multiplies in your brain. So now there's a cumulative effect. So, exactly. So what happens is that we tend to become used to a different level of stress. So right now, if I'm stressed and, I, and it doesn't dissipate, I don't know what to do, then as stress comes in, I still start building my my level of stress goes higher. Mm-hmm. It reaches a stage where we operate from a very high level of stress. And what that also means is our brain waves go into a very high, uh, they operate at a very high level, very fast level. It's called mm-hmm. the, the beta level, mm-hmm. okay? Which is, and, and so, yes, you can do your work, but it also affects you not only physically, but also you're, you're always constantly worrying about what's going to happen next. So, for example, right now with the situation that we are in, okay, many people are still worrying about what's going to happen. So they are afraid of going out. They are afraid of catching this uh, COVID-19. They are afraid of, uh, you know, should I talk to someone? Should I hold continuous thing? That's one part of it. The second part is you continuously listen to the news and they, they also uh, amplify the problem. Mm. So you always stress and so you don't have chance to recover. So and so, what what stress does? It uh, it triggers your the brain mechanisms to go into survival. I understand. That's the so, how do we stop this chatter in the mind? Because it's constantly there, and I know in my mind sometimes it's not just the chatter, but it's almost like there is a committee <laughs> in my brain <laughs> that's uh, you know having a, a, a lot to say and. Uh, you know, do you have any strategies on how you you calm the the, the chatter in your in your mind? So, so with the with the mind chatter, the harder we try to control it, the harder we try to stop it, the worse it gets. Hmm. So, so example, if you are if you're right now and you so, let me just go step one step back. Most people don't notice their mind chatter. They assume it's part of their mental. Uh, whatever is happening in the mind is is, is part of them, and so they don't notice it. And it's okay, part of life. They just keep going. So that's so that's where a lot of people are. But as soon as you start noticing it, that's the first step in changing yourself, mm. to moving beyond that. So now you know that, that this is the mind chatter is causing this problem. So it's not only causing you stress, but the mind chatter prevents you from seeing exactly what's happening in front of you. Because it creates a, like a, like a, like a wall, a screen through which you are trying to see. So that's the filter. It's and a filter. A lot of times, the mind chatter will go to the future or the past, in the way you yes. described it. And the idea is to stay focused in the present. Yes, but to get to that, see, science also tells us that ninety-eight percent of the uh, of the time we are in mind chatter. Ninety-eight percent. Ninety-eight percent of the day we are in mind chatter. You know the implications of that. 
you know, even if you take 90, 95% of that, uh, say that we are in mind chatter. So when we're in mind chatter, we are unconscious of our actions and behaviors. We don't know what we are saying and doing. We're just doing it. It seems appropriate because we've been doing it for a long time, but we are not conscious of it. So we are what I would call unconscious of it. So even if you are, let's say 95% of the, of the day that you are in mind chatter, okay? Which means that if, if, you, if you, like most people, sleep eight hours, that we have 16, 16 hours in a day, 95% of that, so only 5% of that we are conscious. And if you look at, if you work it out, it's less than five to seven minutes in an hour. It's about 50 to 60 minutes in a day that we are uh, more conscious of what we are doing. So it's about five to 10 minutes per hour. I mean, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less that we know what's happening, but most of the time we don't. I'm just reeling from that statistic. Yeah. I, I just cannot believe that uh, our mind chatter consumes so much of who we are and so much of our day. See, the, the mind chatter also comes from our conditioning. So actually about 70, 70 to 80% of the mind chatter is the same, ch- same things that you were thinking about it yesterday and the day before. Mm-hmm. So when I say same thing, so for example, if you are, if someone has annoyed you, uh, let's say if I annoy you today. So during the day, you may think of me two, three times that, you know, I annoyed you. Mm-hmm. And, but you won't be thinking of me the whole day. Then tomorrow, something else you'll be doing, and it will remind you that, you know, in my podcast, this guy uh, annoyed me. Again, it starts. So nine, almost 70, 70 to 80% of our, of our thoughts are recycled. The same thoughts go over and over again, and we keep making stories out of it. Okay. You know what? I um, I can certainly relate to what you're saying. Yeah, the recycled thoughts. I have a question for you. Could it be possible that there is positive mind chatter? In other words, <laughs> is is there any positivity to to mind chatter depending on what you feed your mind? You see, as long as you're not aware of what's going on in your mind, everything affects you. Everything is uh, detrimental to you. Okay, uh, and and the reason is because the mind chatter is created by our conditioning, our uh, preconditioning, which happens in the first seven, six or seven years of our life, mm-hmm. where seventy to eighty percent of what we learn today is we all we learn at that time. Right. So for so okay, and most of our parents were not very conscious. They only taught us what they knew, uh, and how to survive the best way we can in this world. Okay. They, so that's, that's what we're doing. We are surviving. But we have to do more than survive. So that conditioning, so for example, uh, maybe when your daughter, uh, you have daughters, right? So let's say you were, when, you were, when they were young and you took them to a, to a store, maybe they were three years old, you took them to a store and, and, and the daughter said, I want that toy or I want something. And you would say to her, no, you can't have it. And she would start crying and you say, you don't deserve it, okay? Because you did so, so, so. Now, a three-year or a four-year-old or a five, even five-year-old child has no concept of cause and effect. Mm. They have no concept of saying that I did this and this is the result of it. So all they can pick up is I don't deserve it and I was bad or naughty or whatever you call it. That stays with them for all their life. So when... Your child now, you know, you know, even she's an adult and she's going for this job uh, and she's almost getting it and then she'll do something to sabotage it mm. because she, in her mind, 
the mind chatter would say, I don't deserve it. Do I really deserve it? It came from the, the childhood. So that's how the whole thing is. So now, the question you asked me is, so what What do we, what can we do? And uh, and the thing, so the whole thing is, first of all, to, to know, just like you are saying, that you are aware that you are mind chatter. Number two, there's no negative or positive mind chatter. It's mind chatter. As long as you're not aware, it's still mind chatter. Now, the next step is to see what is happening in your mind, to understand how your, 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 your mind works, how your brain works. Because as soon as you understand, automatically the chances of you moving into a more happier, more peaceful uh, uh, life is higher. Because now you understand how the brain works, how the mind works, and you're much more conscious. Mm, I hear what you're saying. So really the idea is self-awareness, understanding mind chatter, understanding the implications of that. And you need to be able to do that if you are going to change anything. Absolutely. So you have to understand the mind. And most people have difficulty with that because most people are worried that the kind of thoughts that they go in their head are not very nice. So they don't want to look at them. And being nice might be, let's say my thought might be going saying, you know, uh, so-and-so is like this. I mean, to someone might say that that's not a very good thought. I shouldn't be thinking like that. <clears throat> so we avoid it. Right. Okay? But if you, as soon as you start watching your thoughts and becoming aware of it, yeah, your life changes because now you are in control. Should I think this thought or, or not think about it? And so you, you take control. Yeah, and it starts from really observing, observing yeah. um, your, your thoughts non-judgmentally. You know, right uh, at the beginning of the book, you give the analogy of a mountain as a metaphor for transforming one's life. And I found that metaphor really uh, simple and yet uh, very compelling. Can I ask you to walk through that metaphor in the four stages of the climb, please? Yeah, it's, uh, I'd heard about this uh, mountain climbing uh, as a metaphor, and I, I'd never realized what it was until I did, I, I climbed the mountain. And then it started falling into place exactly what happens because it, it is so, there's so many similarities between climbing a mountain and, uh, and your, the inner process of transformation. So just like any time you climb a uh, mountain or anything that you do for that matter, there are four stages. In, in the, there's a four-stage uh, uh, journey. The first is to prepare, the preparation. The second stage is once you have prepared, now you're ready to climb. The third stage is now that you're climbing, you're reaching the summit. And once you're at the summit, you can't stay there for long because of uh, in an actual uh, physical life, it's, uh, the, the air in the, that height is very, very. I mean, it's uh, half the amount at the ground level. So then you go to come back. So that's how the the, the four uh, portions of the of the of the transformation journey happens, even in to, to to all of us. So let's start with the, the preparation piece. Sure. Can you talk a little bit more about what's involved in preparation? Sure. So in, in, uh, in, uh, to, to prepare for anything, uh, what, we, what we need, what I call, is the two principles of life. Uh, it's uh, attitude and altitude. Attitude is something under our control. Attitude is something that, you know, we can do something about. Uh, it is a left rational mind ability. It loves doing that. It loves preparing things. So, 
So if you go to prepare in terms of to climb a physical mountain, you need to prepare your body, your mind to get it ready and to be in such a sh uh, shape that you're able to climb. And for that, uh, you need the attitude, the right attitude to be able to, to, to climb. Okay. And so, so with, with that, with that attitude, there are two things to that, two parts to it. You have to have an intention. And intention is you setting the course for your journey that I want to climb. But intention is only one part of the journey. What you need with attention is attention. Mm -hmm. uh, with, with in, sorry, with intention, you need attention. So you need this to go hand in hand. So intention is looking forward. You're laying out your path that that's where you want to go. Attention is the steps you take one by one to get to the step. To the to the final goal, whatever you have. Most people focus on the goal; they don't focus on how to get to the goal. And the reason is that's how the rational mind works. He says, as soon as I get to the goal, I've done it, I've accomplished it. Now let me go and get another one to, to climb another mountain. Right. So that's in a in a nutshell what the uh, the attitude is. Altitude comes from our intuitive mind. It's a right brain faculty, and. Uh, it is more of a, it's like a trust factor because when you're climbing, you have no idea how the, the altitude is going to affect you as you climb, because as you climb higher, you get into the stage of the altitude sickness. And uh, so, you do, so you don't know how it's going to affect you. And in, in real life, in transformation, whatever we're going through, you don't know the effect of the ego on, on, on us. Okay? So, but, but if you're prepared well, then attitude will take care of itself because it's a trust. You trust yourself that I have prepared enough. The thing to do then is sometimes we get stuck. We're just on the preparation level because we are not sure. We don't want to take a chance uh, and all that stuff. But at some time when you have done everything, you've got to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to climb. I'm ready to change myself because I'm suffering so much. Uh, I'm stressed out. I need to do something. And you go to make the decision and not leave it for later. You say, okay, this is it now. I'm going to do it. So that's the kind of for the, the preparation. And uh, then, then, the next, then comes the next, next stage. See? So if I can summarize what I heard you say, what you're saying is the attitude is within your control. You yes. have a desire. You have the intention of fulfilling a particular goal. Your intention needs to be strong. You you focus your attention on that goal. And then the altitude is really unknown. It's what you have no control over because you cannot predict the obstacles. You cannot predict what might happen. But hopefully with the attitude intact, the altitude will work itself out. And, and you have to trust in yes. that process. Uh, I really liked one of the things that you just said, which is sometimes you can over-prepare. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I have certainly, in my coaching practice, I've seen clients that gather information and gather information. And, you know, it's like Encyclopedia Britannica. And, and the more information they have, the more they want. And there almost seems to be a reluctance to take that first step and to move forward because it's, yeah. it's easier and safer, I think, to just kind of talk about something rather than experiencing it. That's and right. So I Absolutely. thought that was a really uh, interesting um, analogy. So you can't over-prepare. At some point, you got to make that you first go to something. Step. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, just to take it back to the what we are going through right now, 
and we can use the same principles there. Uh, you know, you you can uh, you prepare. So your your attitude, you you you've prepared everything. You have your mask. You have your uh, all the stuff that you you need, and you you know that now you're you're ready. You're prepared, and you gotta then you gotta trust yourself that you are well prepared, and not let. The, the news the, the 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 newscast affect you and other people affect you the negative uh, the thinking come to you because you you know yourself that you're prepared now just trust that you are prepared and everything will work out the way it is just text then you do then you go step by step through life rather than worrying about what's going to happen and everything else right because that's the chatter that you talked about <laughs> exactly exactly okay step number two is the actual climb. Yes, and uh, you you indicated you climbed a mountain. Which mountain was this? So it was Mount Kilimanjaro uh, in Tanzania. So you um, know that's uh, my hometown. I yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up uh, and uh, in in Moshi, Tanzania, and every morning I would peer through the window to always see the mountain. And yes. you know it was one of those north stars for me. It was always there. And so yes. yeah, Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay, yeah. so talk about the climb. So, in fact, uh, at, at one of the stages, uh, we could look down on Moshi when we were, as you were climbing. So, but so, so the, so the second part is about climbing the, the mountain now. So now you're prepared, now you're ready to go. So then you start the journey of the climb. And, uh, and the journey of the climb, there are a couple of uh, mantras that, uh, that the guides down, who took us up uh, and all the guides use. And uh, and one of them is uh, pole pole, and pole pole is a Swahili word, uh, as you know, uh, slowly, slowly, or I would say step by step. And literally, they would force you to take step at a time and not take two steps or take more longer step because the the, the, the with the high altitude mountain, the major problem is at after about eight thousand feet, I believe the the altitude sickness are very high extreme uh, extreme mountain climbing okay and so so to be able to manage that to mitigate uh, any 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 issues uh, you've got to slow down and uh, the one of the one of the problems with younger people is that because they have so much energy they want to just climb and they find that they have difficulty because you know you can't go as fast as you want so pole pole means step by step here so it becomes it's like mindfulness you're complete. So what it does, it forces you to be here and now, mm-hmm. which is what mindfulness is. Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than mindfulness. See, the more you are mindful of what you're doing, the more aware you become. So that's the first first mantra of, of basically of climbing. And so with that attitude, you start climbing. And as you're climbing, see, most of us carry our rational, mind-chattering mind with us everywhere. So as you're climbing, the mind is still going. Because you know it says, oh yeah, uh, when will I get there? Or it's too high. Mindset is continuous. But as you start paying attention to your steps as you go along, you will notice there's a certain stage that the mind starts to become quieter, because you're focused in here and now. Okay, you're not focused. You're not going anywhere. And the more you focused here, the less you worry about the climb or how far it is or that. Okay. And so, and, and, and so you, you start climbing and, and the beginning of the climb, you're carrying a lot of baggage. And literally from what's uh, in the terms of climbing itself, you have a knapsack, you try and reduce your, uh, as much weight as possible. And in real life, 
we all carry this big baggage of uh, the ego and all the conditioning that we, we have on our shoulders, and it really weighs us down. So as you climb, you know, it's, you start to feel, you start to loosen up a bit. The second mantra of, uh, of, of the climb is climb high and sleep low. So what it means is, again, it's to, uh, to acclimatize you. So you, you climb higher, maybe a few hundred feet higher, and then you come down to, to, to sleep. So you become, so you're used, getting used to less oxygen coming back. And, uh, and it also gives us a chance in terms of the, of the, of the transformation. It gives us a chance to integrate what we have learned so far and to discuss and to share with, with other people. Because this journey is a gradual journey of transformation. It's not something that you, you, know, you can get it done in a short time. You have to take it. And the reason why is because you can only, only take so much, become aware so much because you have to get used to it and as you move forward. Okay. You know, as you describe uh, the climb, it's bringing me back to my childhood. You know, another African proverb is sometimes you need to go slow to go fast. Yes, absolutely. It. And I remember um, one thing that I was told and I'm continuing to be told often because I'm one of those people that want to do it all and I want to do it now. Is haraka, haraka, haina baraka. That's so you right. probably have heard that. Yes, quote yes, is, yes, all the time. Yes. Yeah, so haraka, haraka is fast, fast, haina baraka. How would you define that? It, 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 it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't it, get you anywhere. It doesn't get you anywhere, yeah. I mean, it, it, when you go too fast, sometimes it's uh, detrimental for you. So you know to slow down. Right. So yeah. the climb is about being mindful. It's being mindful. Ever and, present in the moment. In the moment. And, uh, and then quiet uh, in the moment. Mind. Yes. And also letting go. And letting uh, go. Letting go is also... It's also very important because you've got to start letting go of all the things that you're carrying, and uh, and on the mountain it's also it's also important because you know you, when you come down and you you rest place you have to let go of the previous day, and that's how you move forward. Okay? And, and of course, hmm? and then the third stage is uh, is really the summit. So this is when you get to your destination. So let's so, talk about that. Yeah. So uh, before we get to the summit, as we climbing, we reach a point where at one of the campsites, when 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 you wake up, all of a sudden you find that you're above the cloud level, which which and and you're and you're listening to the rain and the, and you can hear the thunderstorm. All everything happening below, below you. How, you say, how hmm? incredible would that have been? Like yeah. how incredible! I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Actually, you know, if you when you're flying, and sometimes most times we fly over the cloud level, so that's the kind of thing because you're on the cloud, you are above the cloud level is up here, at the, and so you're going above, and the sky is clear, but the clouds below, there's rain and everything going on, but it doesn't affect you. So it's the same kind of feeling that you get. You are up higher, the sky, everything is very clear. Very few clouds. One in a while, once in a while, you can see them, but everything else is below you. And it's important. This I use this analogy of the sky and the clouds to show of a dual nature. And what what do you mean by dual nature? One is the ego part, and the other is who we really are, our natural state of being. 
which is what once you start going through all this, it's a shift in consciousness that that brings you into that other uh, other way of looking at things. It's just a different way of looking at things. One way you look at this way is dualistic way. I like, I don't like. This is right, this is wrong. The other way, the, the shift in consciousness brings in your natural state of mind. It looks at the holistic picture. Okay, so, so you look at the whole picture. Both are important. You need both in life. But we, we forget about the holistic picture. We focus on the, on the detailed part of it. Okay, so same thing with the cloud and the sky. The cloud is our ego state. Okay, everything that goes on in our, you know, uh, all the turbulence in our ego, our relationships, everything else, it goes on in that level. But as soon as you go above the cloud, above the ego, or below, doesn't matter, you are in, you can just watch the sky, which is your natural state of being. Everything happens in the foreground. You, who you are in, in, in reality, is in the background. If you can come to that state, then that state is peaceful, is happy, is joyous, everything. Everything is happening in front of you, in the foreground. Life is happening in front of you. So it will never affect you again about what's happening. You, take, you can take part in life, but it won't. But at the core level, you'll be at peace. Okay? So that's I was trying to show that it's not far, this, this, uh, the natural state of being that we, we talk about. It's just around the corner. Just have to cross that ego, the clouds, to reach that. And so we reached the summit. The last part was difficult. And we started at midnight, and it was quite difficult to get there. But once you get there, I felt, okay, so I'm at the top. It was like an anticlimax because I was enjoying the journey so much. Okay, So this was, yes, okay, I, I, I'm there, and it's gorgeous. It's beautiful to be up there. But uh, it's more like, okay, so that's fine. Okay, So that's how the I would describe the summit, you know, because... And, and the reason why I say this is because the natural state of being that you are, or that we all are, is not something uh, mystical. It's who we are in nature. Every time, every time you laugh, every time you're having fun, enjoying yourself, you are in a natural state of mind. It's the ego that brings you down and you know, feeling miserable and all that. But you already have experienced it. So, and that's why it was kind of, to me, an anticlimax because I knew that space. I, I will always know that 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 uh, I mean I didn't know it at that time, but when I climbed, I said, "Oh, okay." But this this is not different from when I was feeling happy, and I'm I'm calm. It's the okay. It's a stress that makes you miserable. That's why the anticlimax. So, would you say that that would be everybody's experience? Could it be that somebody makes it to the summit and feels ecstatic and uh, you know thrilled beyond words? Oh yes, absolutely. See. If, if you are still in a rational mind you know, as you're climbing, because to you, the journey is how am I going to attack the mountain? How am I going to conquer the mountain? Because the mind is rational. That's how the mind works. The rational mind works. Mm. So now I'm at the top. Yes, I've done it. But it doesn't last too long because now you say, okay, now let me climb uh, the Himalayas, for <laughs> example, or the next mountain, the next challenge. It goes on, never stops. So it's never enough. But if never, but for, for me, I've climbed this one, so it was great. If I climb another one, it's fine. If I don't climb, that's fine too. I don't have to look for another mountain to climb. Okay? I hear you. Okay, so interesting. And, um, and then the fourth stage, once you've 
gone up the mountain, you can't stay there forever. You yes. do need to return. So let's yes. talk about the return now. Yeah. So, so and, and this, this also applies to, you know, sometimes when people go through this transformation, they go and go into the caves in the forest and they just drop out from, uh, from every, the, the communication with the, with the community, with everyone else. That's what they want to do. And that's fine. Some people are like that. In the same way, in the, when you're climbing the mountain, you can't stay up there because the air is very thin, so you've got to come down. And so, and coming down, the, the journey is, is quite difficult, but uh, we don't plan for it. We always think once we get to the top, that's enough. But it's more dangerous to climb down. Uh, and the example I give, the actual physical climbing down of uh, this the Dutch uh, mountaineer who was saying that, you know, people forget. He, had he tried four attempts already climbing uh, the Himalayas, the Everest, and he didn't make it. So he was saying that people don't realize that coming down is the most dangerous part of the journey. Hmm. And so after this interview, he, he managed to reach the top, Everest, but he died on the way back. Oh. Okay? Which is so unfortunate. But it, what it tells you that the coming down is also dangerous. So, so why do you want to... So, so when you come down, what you want to do, what, what, what you want to do now is to share what you've learned because you've been there. You know what it's like. So now we can explain to, to people, if people want to climb, to, to, to say, yeah, this is what it is. But what does it do to you, yourself, uh, the, the change that, that we go through with this, the shift in consciousness? All of a sudden, our life becomes different, very different. And uh, I think the only way I could, I mean, I've not, I've not had a near-death experience, but I would say there are people coming out of it, they come up with a new purpose in life. They want to do something. So even here, once you once you have once you have been to the once you have climbed, once you reach the summit, and you find out that you you are your natural self of being all the time, now your life changes in ways that you can't even imagine. Mm. You don't need external motivations anymore. For example, that you know I do this. The motivation comes from inside. How you re how you talk to people is different. Uh, how people don't affect you as much. It's as if you are. You're living in two worlds, and you you have your legs in in two parts of the of the world. One is the actual world that you operate in, but you, there's always a space from which you observe it, and this space does not get affected. Okay, so so that that in in a nutshell, but it, it's much more because you know it it changes how you look at life. Now every moment becomes enjoyable. You laugh more. You have fun. I mean, we have, we have forgotten how to have fun. We have forgotten how to be happy. By nature, our natural state of mind, we are generous. We are compassionate. We are happy. We are peaceful. But we have forgotten all that because of the ego has taken over. Mm. And, uh, ego and the conditioning has taken over and the stress. And so we have forgotten how to laugh, how to enjoy, how to just be like a child. Not childish, but be like a child. Right. Is it possible that when you return, after you've been to the summit and you return, that you forget the lessons from the climb and you go back to living your life the way you always had? In other words, how, so, how do we make this change uh, or this transformation sustainable? So once you have found this, you will never lose it. Mm. But, but you may become stagnant. 
he may not be able to do anything more, but you always know because you've been through it. But as to the point what they're making is, what do you do now? So it doesn't mean that, you know, you stop your practices, for example, like meditation and mindfulness and all that. It means that you keep doing it, keep reinforcing it. The more, see, with meditation, it's, meditation is like a lab, like a, where you experiment, where you sit down and, and with your thoughts and understand your mind and all that. What you have learned, now take it outside. Be mindful to things that you do. Right. So mindfulness, day-to-day, and meditation, the sitting meditation, go hand in hand. The sitting meditation restructures your brain completely, the functioning, the, the brain itself. And, it, and you start looking at how the mind works, how the thoughts work. And you, all those lessons you can implement in your day-to-day. So mm-hmm. as you're walking, as you're talking to people, it's, n- it's not the same old, same old, oh, hi, Munira, how are you doing, without your meaning about how Munira. Right. But now when you say, hi, Munira, you mean, hi, Munira, how are you doing? I care for you. It's right. not just asking because you happen to be there and I'm asking you. But now, because you're going to realize when we are in ego state, the ego, your ego is different from mine. In your, and I, I have no idea what's in your personal life, personal ego the things, your conditioning, your life and all that. But when you're in a natural state of being, it's not different from your natural state of being. It's not different from anyone else's. We are all the same. We are all consciousness. So now, when I talk to you or, or when I meet you, I'm not going to do any, any harm to you because if I harm you, I'm harming myself. It's as simple as that. So the whole attitude changes on how we talk to people, how we react to people, how we yeah, just go about uh, you know, daily lives. I think COVID has really taught us that lesson in some ways because it's a global pandemic and more and more I'm seeing the, uh, the, the oneness of humanity that something that happens in one part of the world impacts so much what happens in another part yes. of the world. And so I hear what you're saying and I, I agree that I think in order to make this sustainable, there has to be reinforcement. You got to continue that practice consciously in order to keep that transformation going. You have created something called the seven-day mental diet. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, basically the the reason I I, I did that was because everything else I was hearing about uh, COVID-19 and the self-isolation and the, the negativity and the fear-based, uh, I mean, the people are so afraid of things. And so I wanted to, to come up with something that would, uh, would, would alleviate some of the fears that, that people have and what they need to do. Because what it is, actually, it's a, it's a, a bit faster way of getting into the, the, the transformation of, of the journey. Because instead of just, because the process we're talking about is, is, is quite long because it's, you, know, you have to lay the groundwork. But when things happen, like you climb the summit in the next state of mind, it's instantaneous, but you have to lay the groundwork. With this uh, seven-day mental fast, you can get into the state very fast, but then you have to keep doing what you're doing. So it, it really helps you because you can see your mind, you can understand your mind very fast. And what I'm, t- what I'm trying to do is to, that for, uh, you see, our mind has a, a, break, has, has a negative bias. What do I mean by that? Anything negative, so the, the mind is, uh, is uh, Velcro for negative thoughts and Teflon for positive thoughts or happy things. So what does it mean? Anything negative, you attract, you attach, it, joy, it combines with you, it becomes like a Velcro, it sticks. 
So every time you listen to the news and it's fear-based and all that stuff, it, and gossips and all that stuff, it's, it sticks a lot longer. But if you have something, uh, uh, if you are playing with your daughter and having fun, it doesn't last. It doesn't last too long because it's like Teflon, it bounces off. And you say, no, no, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and, and so on. So to counter that, for seven days, uh, what you need to do is to, to watch what's happening in your, in your mind. Look at the thoughts and be aware of how the negative thoughts come about. And, and so uh, once you become aware, then you're able to let them go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and whenever you're happy, you, you expand, you, you stay in those moments a lot longer to, to experience those. So that, that's in a nutshell that uh, it, uh, what it's what it's about. Love it, love it. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. Given that this podcast is really about ordinary people doing extraordinary things, I wanted to ask you, who is your role model, Aziz? Munira, I have no role models, but what I do have is a lot of uh, spiritual teachers. Mm. I've learned a lot from many people who, whom I've not even met. You know, uh, and, and those all are, are, are my teachers. So everyone, I learn everything. I learn something from everyone. So, for example, you are my teacher. I learn something from you. So they, they're not, I, so I don't look at them as role models. I look at everyone is a teacher. And what can you learn from it? What can you, you know, what can they give? What can you give? That's, that's the way I look at life. That's beautiful. And uh, given that this podcast is about choosing hope, what would you say you're hopeful for or a hope or wish that you have? Again, I don't have a wish or a hope or anything because I think, you know, just to hope and not do anything is, uh, is just a problem because you, you can keep saying that I hope the world is, that there is peace in the world. But for the peace in the world to happen, you've got to start with having peace in yourself. If you want, uh, if, if you want the fighting to stop, you've got to stop the fighting within yourself. So you've got to start with yourself. There's no point in just hoping that the world is going to be a great place to be or whatever. You've got to start with yourself. Stop the fighting within yourself. Then you'll see the effect around you. Because you cannot change the world, okay? But you can change the corner, your little corner, and the people around there will change their corner. And slowly, consciousness will, will rise. And it's already rising. And many people are becoming conscious. And that's the only way to, to go about it. So it's not a matter of, you know, I hope something, but I, what I would like to do is that to change anything, you've got to start with yourself. I love that. And if we all start with ourselves in our own little corners, that corner can you, just envelope all of humanity and the entire universe. Then, then, then you, you won't need to hope that uh, Munira does, I hope Munira behaves in a certain way, but then I like her. No. Why are you worried about Munira? You've got to start with yourself, okay? And then everything else will, will take care of itself. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you. So for more information on uh, Aziz Belji, his book, The Seven-Day Mental Health Diet, the work that he does, go to azizbelji.com. And uh, any last words, Aziz, before we, we close? No, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And, uh, I, and again, your story, um, as I mentioned before, I would have, you know, I was always hoping that I would talk to you because to see how resilient you are because that's that's what it's all about. How we how can we become more resilient? I mean, you've gone through what you've gone through. 
and uh, many people would have given up and say and keep saying why me why me and that's being getting the survival mode but what you have done is move beyond that and uh, so you know this this is what and when i talk i love to find out about people how they become more resilient uh, because that's what that's, that's that's what it's all about if if you can find out then you can hopefully share with others that what other people did Mm, I see what you mean about everybody being teachers and everybody being learners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been such a joy having you. I think we'll just need to invite you again because I know in your book, you write extensively about meditation to calm the mind and to bring about transformation. But that's a whole new topic. And so um, let's plan to have you back to talk specifically around the practice of meditation and, and everything you've learned about that and strategies for us to, to, to practice something that sometimes can feel very daunting. So thank you very much for being a guest today, Aziz. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard, click the subscribe button to listen to more episodes. And if you are an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and want to be a guest on this show, message me on my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feed. In the meantime, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, choose hope. Hope is the spark that ignites us to move forward and make things happen.